Welcome to the Emerge Thriving Podcast, wellness designed for real life. In these conversations, we focus on topics that impact our everyday lives. Forgiveness, self-worth, resiliency, embracing self-care, the power of nutrition, and so much more. Life isn't always easy, but together we can take steps towards a thriving life. Today, we're talking about how to release the deep need to people please so that we can be our true authentic selves. Annie Henderson is a counselor, consultant, and an educator, as well as a coming out coach for the LGBTQ plus individuals and their families. She's passionate about helping people connect with the deeply resonating desire to step into a life that truly reflects who they are. Thank you for being with us, Annie. We're so glad to have you. Before we get started, please feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi, my name is Annie Henderson. I am a Texan born and raised, which depending on your views of Texas could be good or bad, but I live in a beautiful bubble in North Texas. And like she said, I have a background of counseling with elementary school counseling and some professional counseling, being a licensed professional counselor. And currently I just act as a a life coach, helping people pleasers and the LGBTQIA community raise my 14-year-old daughter. And I have my partner of 10 years. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful to welcome you today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Like you are amazing. I know I keep saying this, but like I've been on a fair share of podcasts and just from our meeting previously, like you're, you're next level. So I'm super excited to be here. Not to make it a love fest, but that's exactly how I have felt about you as well. I already feel like I've had some life-changing moments just in our conversation. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with our listeners too, and anybody who's listening who can relate to some of the really powerful messages that you share with people. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this conversation, and so are you, is that I strongly suspect that there are people who want to take a next step in their journey to come out as their true, full, authentic selves, but that there's challenges that appear to be insurmountable, like the circumstances they're in, the culture of their community, their city or their state or the religious beliefs that they were raised in, or maybe they feel responsible to uphold the life they created based on the idea that they would never come out. Mm, You said that so well. (laughs) (laughs) That everyone felt that. (laughs) And the list goes on, right? I mean, you know, you're just, that's just the tip of the iceberg of all of the reasons of why someone might feel like this is heavy, this is difficult. Um, and I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure what's something outside of this. And, and is it really worth it? So you have a, a powerful message, message of hope for people who are exactly in that situation. And you've experienced yourself what it's like to come out as your whole self. Um, and so you can speak to what's maybe on the other side of that uncertainty, that fear and deep hesitation. This is the other thing that was really like meaningful and life-changing to me when we were talking you have a great way of recognizing and honoring where people are at. Um, You have an easy, calming, natural energy that provides a safe and loving place for people to explore 
heal, take steps that feel right in the time that it feels right and in the way that it feels right. And, you know, coming from someone who's had a lot of trauma in my life, I can't tell you how important that really is that when you're seeking support and resources, that there is no pressure to perform or pressure to be how someone else is saying, but that you're able to heal in this natural, right, loving way that allows you to unfold naturally and powerfully. So I really appreciate that about you as well. That's amazing. Thank you so much for saying that. That means a, that means a lot to me to, to hear that because, right, yeah, having that calm energy and, and not pushing people when they're not ready because everyone has their own pace and that should be recognized and understood. I agree. So you have your own experience with coming out, which I think is a great place to start in our conversation. I mean, it's also why you care so much about helping other people explore and heal and learn to be themselves so they can create the life that they most want to live. Can you provide some perspective on what it's like to be in that place of feeling stuck, out of alignment with yourself, or deeply hesitant to come out? Yeah. So as you said, that was my life, which is why I can relate so well to my clients and people in that position. I grew up as a people pleaser. In talking to my clients, when I'm asking them, like, when do you feel like that's usually started? And for a lot of them, it's around that middle school age, right? The glory days of elementary school and loving all your teachers for some people. And then you get into this stage of, oh, like I'm changing my hormones and everything's changing. And there's also that shift in maybe a relationship with parents, right? Where you start to get a little more independence. And that's, around the age where my people pleasing began, right? Middle school, high school. And in terms of dating and what that looked like people pleasing in that phrase was guys would ask me and I'd say yes. And it was more of, Oh, I, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to. And it was like, okay, yeah, you're cute. You're nice. (laughs) Let's try this. And then I would break up with one and then the next one would ask and I would say yes. (laughs) So I was never in this chunk of time where I was just being me and I was by myself and just learning. I was just constantly doing that until, until I was proposed to, and I ended up getting married at 19. Right. And I remember mentioning like, Oh, I'm think, I think I might go off to college. Um, like it wasn't far, right. It was maybe a 45 minute drive for, uh, my psych degree. And he was like, we're probably not going to work out if that happens. And I was like, okay, I'll stay here. So then I stayed and went to college. Uh, It's in a great college, Austin College in Sherman. And I did that. And so I started going through that checklist of things that you're supposed to do to be successful in life. I got married. I got my college degree. We built a house. I got another degree. I had a baby. I got some more degrees. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I did all the things. What's what's going on here? And of course, looking back hindsight, I'm like, okay, okay. I can see where I stuffed down a lot of stuff. But, you know, being raised Catholic, I even went to a Pentecostal church for a time when I was uh, just a lot of searching. When I look back, I made friends with some uh, Mormon missionaries. And I loved finding all these passionate people that just believed with all their heart. And 
since I didn't really know myself, I couldn't really connect with any of that. I was like, they're all like so passionate and know like are certain. And, you know, wasn't, I had my daughter at 26 and then I got a divorce uh, at 27, right? So it's one thing for me where I was like, people please, people please, I could do this forever because <laughs> people pleasers are great at, at doing that, putting themselves last. And then when I had a daughter, it was like, hmm, <laughs> I don't want her to be a people pleaser at all. Coming to grips with everything, coming out of the closet. And unfortunately, I was still a people pleaser at that time. And I got into a, a very toxic relationship. I was out. So, you, you know, I was checking another box of, all right, I'm out. Now I should be happy. <laughs> and that didn't happen just that way either. It was oh, I'm still a people pleaser that I don't know how to set boundaries. Like this is toxic. I was in that role of, I want to fix this person. Like, I don't want to give up. I don't want to be, you know, the one to, to leave. And it took, you know, several years of this roller coaster that was, you know, even crazier than, than my marriage, which my marriage was actually, you know, pretty smooth. And I can see how other people pleasers are like, you know what? I'm just going to stay in it until my kid graduates, right? Stay in it for the kids, which I feel is comes from a really good place, right? We want to take care. People pleasers don't want to hurt anybody. They don't want to hurt the kids. They don't want to hurt the ex or the spouse. And fortunately for me, I was in a relationship. It was friendly. <laughs> we were like friends. So there wasn't any of that fear of, of abuse or anything like that, which I know can really hold people back. So for me, it was more of, I'm fine right now, but if I keep going five, 10 years into the future, I'm not going to be the same calm, patient person just waiting this out. Like I won't be able to be the best mom I think I can be if I continue to people please and not live my authentic life. And it was a process, right? It wasn't a snap my fingers, I'm magically here. And at the time, I didn't have, I didn't have a coach. I had all my psychology and counseling training. I had collected like three master's degrees along the way, trying to find something that made sense. And it was finally, which is very interesting, but getting into entrepreneurship and mindset, it's like a whole different level that really started to change things for me and energetically showing up differently. Therefore, I was attracting different people. So even though I wasn't a fully recovered people pleaser at the time I met my partner, she was definitely nothing like anyone else I'd met, right? We, we got along, we had fun. It could be as slow or as fast as we wanted it. I'd gotten through a lot of that maybe religious trauma of this is okay. This is not okay. Like just this message being passed on for generations that I've definitely shifted and I think I told you before, I've been fortunate enough to, to find a church in my tiny little Sherman town in Texas, a church I didn't think I was out there. I didn't think I would find. And the, the pastors are amazing. And that's where we opened up the Facebook group for the LGBT and allies. And the fact that there's been this shift with pastors and clergy and everything that they are different than what we grew up with. They're affirming, they're accepting, they're willing to have these conversations. And that just makes all the difference in the world. And I think it helps a lot of not only 
people that are coming out, but also their family, right? So in getting my pastor and teaming up with her in this group, I knew that some people had to hear from like a straight white pastor (laughs) that it's okay. You're not going to go to hell. Your kids aren't going to go to hell. This is, this is the way that God made this person. And I think that, right, if we always have to sometimes look outside of ourselves, instead of getting that internal validation, a lot of us are still stuck on that external validation of, I need someone to tell me it's okay, instead of intuition and gut. And this makes sense to me. Like, this is the God that I know and that makes sense and that loves us. That was a tangent. (laughs) Thank you for letting me go on and on. I'm really grateful that you went there. You know who you are. And it's a wrestle then between the truth of who you are and the messages that are being put out. And the messages that are being put out when you look at them on a root level are from fear. So you're, you're wrestling the emotion that goes along with that message. And it it's, can be a constant lifelong wrestle because you know who you are. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you sharing your journey and your experience and in finding a community that affirms that and leads with love and welcomes you in all your humanness and doesn't lead from a place of fear and otherizing. I think that's such a forward-thinking way of approaching inclusion and growth in terms of our community, what's healthy for our community, what's healthy for our individuals, you know, evolving with our awareness and our understanding and not staying limited and held back by our fear and judgment. So to just help the conversation continue to flow forward, what would you say to someone who's in that place right now where they know they're not living 100% authentically. And it's not that the world's telling them they're not being authentic. This is something they know deep in their core, in their being, and they want to show up authentically, but they're wondering if it's worth the risk and what life might look like for them on the other side of coming out. What would you say to them? Ah, So I'll jump into a quick story. So. It hasn't been a super long time that I've been just completely unafraid, unabashedly out. Like I can tell anyone that doesn't bother me at all. My old podcast co-host interviewed me. And even though I was out, I hadn't actually shared my story. (laughs) And it was, you know, the first time it's like, oh, and I, when it came out, I was like, I'll just let it come out. Maybe I just won't share it on my page. Uh, But I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I, you know, I put it out just like normal. This is our latest episode. And I quickly heard from a few parents, actually. And these parents, one of them I used to work with. And she was like, like, I wish I had known like years and years before. I wish I had known you know, so we had someone like I could talk to and because it's a scary thing. It's not something you just go online and share with your whole community. Like this is what's going on. I'm struggling with this and reconciling this. And then another parent had reached out and she said, seeing you and hearing your story brings me hope that you can live authentically. You can go through all of this and come out on the other side, happy and healthy and successful. So, and then we started a 
coaching relationship, but I was like, that was, that's what I needed to hear. Like that was beautiful knowing that, you know, just kind of some representation, hearing something that sounds similar to your story or a family member's story and knowing that, okay, this is, we're in the before or in the middle of it. And here's the after, because a lot of times we see, you know, with social media or celebrities or whatever, we see some unhealthy <laughs> representation and we're like, oh no, like that, that can be scary. So to, to see someone that maybe, you know, or that someone that's local that helps people see that and see what's possible for them. So yes, it is totally worth it. <laughs> and it's neat to see people like right when they're like, they're getting ready, they're about to jump and they just have that little bit of fear left. It reminds me of people that go like skydiving or bungee jumping, right? Even though there's, you know, there's a fail safe, there's still that fear, even knowing that there's something down there. So just having that jump. And then of course, once they're on that other side, and of course, this isn't everyone's story. Some people have some very challenging situations, but most people are like, like, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, why didn't I do this sooner? This just feels like a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders. And that's what I hear the most often. Like, I don't have to spend all this energy hiding and people pleasing. And now I get to, I get to be myself. I get to work on what it is I truly want. And that energy gets to be saved and spent in beautiful, productive ways. All the potential that, you know, in some areas that we're squashing in these incredibly creative individuals, we're squashing it. And like they could be doing such great things. I mean, using that, all those emotions and that brain to create and, and live out their potential and change the world. And instead, we're getting hung up on the silliest things. So when we first met, one of the things that came up in our conversation is how much weight we put on people pleasing and the decisions that we make, right? You talked about that person who's right on the edge. They're all set up to take that leap. And one of the things that can really hold them back and make that difference is people pleasing. Um, and you use that term widely as you're sharing. And as you shared today, it stems from your personal experiences with wanting to people please. And that's what held you back for a long time. So can you share with us how the deep need to please others, how that's going to show up in our ability to accept who we are as a person and the life we want to choose to live? Yeah. So people pleasing shows up oftentimes as the inability to say no, right? So if someone <laughs> like my story, I was asked if I would marry someone and I was like, yes. Looking back, I even remember, and I didn't know why I didn't fully grasp everything, but I remember there was another couple that was engaged at the same time and she had called it off. And I was like, like, is that an option? Like, that seems, that seems kind of mean. No, I can't do that. <laughs> right. And just, but I remember like going, Oh, Oh, so being able, unable to say no, or if we do say no, we have to have an excuse and then we feel guilty, right? All, all of that. So when I talk to a lot of my clients, if we're having a consult call to see if it's a good fit, oftentimes I will hear, I don't want to hurt people. Don't want to hurt people. 
there's all that fear around the future and what will happen if I do this, whether it's work or family or friends or church, right? And there's definitely situations where that happens. Maybe the family, the church, maybe they they lose that all, but there's this sense of, is that what you truly want? Are you wanting to live this life of you're not living your true self and your true self, they, they can't quite understand and they, they don't like that. And sometimes a lot of stories, you come out and there's that resistance because they have to work through their own stuff, right? It's not about you. It's their own junk. And then maybe they start working on it and they start seeing that, oh, okay. Like watching from afar, they're still them. They're not doing anything bad. They're not doing anything crazy. And then sometimes they come back, right? And I had one of my friends, I think it had been seven years. And then the mom came back. And now it's like a beautiful relationship. But sometimes there's that, okay, this is a season that we're going to separate. And I'm going to work on me. And sometimes that separation is really healthy, right? It's almost like going off to college, which I didn't do. Go off to college and you get to have like a chosen family, right? Where you're, I'm going to be around positive people. I'm going to be around healthy people that love me for who I am and that encourage me. And then, you know, in terms of vibrations and energy, right? It raises all of that. So we have that different perspective and we have that healthier view where we can not be as easily offended by maybe our parents who are struggling and kind of going through their own coming out process. So that was one. (laughs) Uh, Another way it shows up is avoiding conflict, right? We don't want, we don't want to have this hurting situation where now we have to address it head on. We have to talk about it and we have to, like, it's going to bring up all this drama that a people pleaser is not comfortable with. And then over-apologizing or (laughs) sorry syndrome, right? Where we constantly apologize, apologize because we're trying to please everyone else. There's a a great quote or a meme out there that says people pleasing is an unintentional form of manipulation. We're doing things to make others like us, which stings, stings the people pleasers heart because we're not trying to manipulate, but it's just this, I want everything to go. Okay. I will live in this tiny shell as long as everyone else is fine. And it's just holds us back so much. And the fear, I think the fear is with people pleasers is that they have to maybe be mean, right? They have to hurt people. And I've seen so many of my clients that were maybe still married and they're going through that process. See that, you know what? Wow. They handled it really well. We're going to really work on co-parenting. Like we can still communicate. It doesn't have to be this dramatic thing that sometimes we hear other people's stories have become. So if it's a healthy relationship, right? And you're not getting out of something that's like a narcissist or something really toxic and you want it to work, it can happen, right? I want to give everyone that hope. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I can see people pleasing be really being a trauma response to that if you've been in a situation where you needed to keep the other person happy or pleased or appeased in order to ensure your safety, That just might be something you are automatically doing even when you're not in a situation where that's a necessity anymore, but you don't know how to break out of the rhythm of just putting the other person first 
um, and you, you, you haven't normalized or stepped into the ability to, to really understand what you need to be well and to be healthy and to prioritize that. So this is a little bit of a deep question, but how does guilt factor into our hesitation to come out in the whole people-pleasing dynamic? Yeah, so guilt guilt is huge. So in terms of people-pleasing, when it comes to saying no, right? We feel like saying no to someone will make them not like us or it makes us a bad person to say no, like we're selfish and we're greedy. So we have this guilt. And of course, (laughs) I have another Facebook group called End Mom Guilt, because I feel like sometimes as soon as you have a kid, there's that mom guilt that you're not doing it right. So, you know, sometimes it's layers and layers of guilt, but the guilt is going to hold us back just because it's what we've believed over and over again for years, right? I've heard it said, belief is just the thought that you think over and over and over again, right? It doesn't make it true. And I think that's the thing. We've never kind of tested it out. Or if we have, we quickly forgot and we get back into our habit, right? It's just that groove in our brain where we feel like this is easy. This is what we know. And our brain... is a jerk sometimes and it will tell us not to not to take a chance not to take a step outside of what is safe for our brain even if it's not healthy for us even if it's toxic the unknown can be scarier so that guilt is going to rear its head until you actively and intentionally start to test some of this out and say, whew, I, I said no right here and the world didn't fall apart. This person still likes me. They even were like, yeah, you take care of you, right? It's almost like you hear someone being a cheerleader. And I think that's the huge part of it. And, and I often ask my clients because they're like, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody. Like, are you going to hurt somebody? Like, is that your intention? And we assume by just by making a choice, right? That people pleasers make a choice that it's going to automatically hurt someone instead of, ooh, by making this choice, it's not only going to be good for you, it's going to help your kids, right? Your ex now might get an opportunity to actually be loved by someone else that can 100% love him. Yes, it's a level of love, right? Because there's commitment and there's loyalty and there's all of this, but it's not the complete. It's not that there's more, right? So instead of living that half-life, that mask on, just pretending. So that's that's my thoughts on that. Just testing out that that guilt theory, right? And it might be on something small. Try it out on, ooh, I feel really guilty about saying no to this, or <laughs> I feel guilty about getting off of the PTA <laughs> and trying it and see what happens. Do I feel good about that? Do I feel relieved? Am I like, why didn't I do that sooner? Before it gets to like the biggest, heaviest guilt. So trying it out. And of course, if that's the story that's been in your head, reaching out to a counselor or a coach or someone to help you identify those thoughts that aren't always true, but we feel like it's the law. It's something that applies to everybody. That's so powerful and really important. And not just that right there, that could be life transforming. 
And I've noticed in my personal life that if something's healthy for me, if I'm making decisions based off of fear or whatnot, and that's suppressing me or it's holding me back or it's causing angst, if that's unhealthy for me, there's some aspect of this that's also unhealthy for the other person. So when I, when I break through from this and break out of this and step into my truth, and if I'm able to do that with support, like someone like yourself, and to be able to convey how I feel in respect and in love to another person, it provides an opportunity for them to choose how to respond. And they have an opportunity to grow too and to become healthier too. So I really like that you're sharing that and really encouraging that, yes, it can be hard. And yes, your brain is probably (laughs) doing everything in its power to keep you locked into your current position. But if you can explore what, you know, push through that and explore what life might look like for you, that can radically change your life and someone else's life as well for the better. Yes, 100%. So how does our need to feel validated by others impact our identity exploration and our ability to self-validate? That's a good one. That's a deepie. Yeah. (laughs) So there's that internal and external validation, right? The book, The Four Agreements, talks about being domesticated at an early age. (laughs) We're taught this is right and this is wrong. Do this, do that. And some of it we don't even understand at that early age, right? When we put our hand over our heart and we say the pledge, we don't fully grasp what we're saying, <laughs> but we but we do it to get that validation from others, right? So whether it's a teacher or a parent or an older sibling or friend, that external validation is what a lot of people focus on. And, and I know there's some teachers that are getting to that place and they're at that place of, okay, we need to work on internal validation because that's going to go further. It's going to mean more, help you grow into independence and, and have that and, and continue to carry that on, on into your life. So yeah, when we are constantly looking for that external validation, it's going to consume us so much that we're not even going into looking at working on that self-exploration and and that internal validation. It's a full-time job trying to please everyone except for yourself. So doing that, just like my story, right? I was I was in college, but I didn't actually, you know, live in a dorm. I was in my house and I didn't have that time to explore because I was still, you know, with family, with my husband. And just trying to make sure I was checking all the boxes that someone else created, right? There weren't my own check boxes to to what would be make me happy. It's just all these expectations that we kind of teach our kids growing up, right? From an early age, you know, I remember being a first grade teacher and asking like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, whew, they're they're first graders. (laughs) It's a lot to put on them, even, even in middle school, like a lot. And some kiddos never, never get there, but having that sense of self. And of course, anybody that's listening, that's a parent, how can we cultivate that? How can we let our kids know? I might've shared this before, right? Saying this to your kiddo, I might've shared this before that these are my hopes and dreams for you. 
but this is not what you have to do. Your path is your own. I got to lead my own path and make my own choices. How can I support you? What interests you? What changes do you want to make in the world? What's fun and fulfilling? And I think there's a a book called The Big Leap, and it talks about the zone of excellence, right? Where I can do this excellent, right? I can, and I feel like there's a lot of people trapped in this box of, oh, I can do this. It brings in the money. It pays the bills. It doesn't make me happy. But now I'm trapped in this because I have a family and all the bills to pay. And then there's that zone of genius where this checks all the boxes. I'm great at it. It's very fulfilling. It lights me up and it pays the bills or more. And knowing that, and I think sharing all of this with our our kids and maybe even our story and how, hmm, I wish I'd done this or wish I'd known that. And knowing, you know, as adults, it's not too late for us. I, you know, I collected all of those degrees. <laughs> And then I put them like down in my closet when I, when I quit my career and it was, you know, something I'd aimed for for so long. And then I got there and it was, you know, kind of like the first section of my life where, all right, I'm married to have this job and these degrees and it's not doing it. Same thing for that. So anybody listening, it's, it's not too late, right? Whether it's just your personal goals and coming out of the closet or changing careers or doing anything that you want that you didn't before, maybe based off of pleasing others and getting that external validation. And now going within and asking, what is it that I do want? What would make me happy? And that, you know, if I was on that deathbed, there's all those articles and research about like the five regrets of the dying. And I think one of them is like not living life on my own terms, always worrying about what other people think. So putting ourselves in that situation, what but I've been happy with this life. Is there anything else that I can still do that will just light me up and check all of those boxes that I've created for myself? It's so important to come from that authentic place and not from a place of fear or somebody else's expectations for you or from a checklist of this is what a successful person looks like. This is what a religious person looks like. This is how I need to conform. And then staying in that zone is, can be very depleting. Oh yeah, very. Depression, anxiety, all sorts of unhealthy ways that we feel can all root down to some of the oppressive boxes that we're fitting into or choosing to stay in. Mm-hmm, exactly. On that note then, how can we get comfortable with being our true selves and what challenges do you commonly see in this part of that process? A big challenge is sometimes location. Right? Do I have access to people that can help me grow? And then that's where social media, right? It can be a, a horrible enemy or it can be something that helps us grow. So there's just like apps, there's a Facebook group for everything. I'm on TikTok a lot, and that's where I find most of my clients. But finding a group or a platform where you can be yourself, where you can connect with people outside of your little bubble. So if you are, you know, in the South (laughs) or a country where this is not something I can just reach out and get support, or this is something my church would tell me no on reaching out and finding a group. So whether it's our LGBT and allies group, 
or there's a later in life, life lesbians group. Um, that's really amazing and making sure it's, it's a right fit because sometimes you'll jump in a group and it's horribly toxic and dramatic and you want to get out of there because it doesn't feel good. So test yourself and see, does this feel right? Is this good? And going out there and just, you know, if it's scary, you don't have to jump in and introduce yourself right away. You can just kind of check out like some posts and some comments. So joining the groups and being surrounded by, this is who I want to be like, Oh, look at that person. They're so strong. They're living their happy life. And it's just you finding all this evidence and proof that oh, like this is someone in my state and they're doing it. Oh, this is someone that goes to the same church I was raised in and they're doing it and they're happy and successful. A lot of times, right? Misery loves company and we can get in certain groups or conversations where everyone's miserable and everyone is having a lot of drama. And that's where you have to go. Is this helping my journey or is this kind of making me even more fearful? So finding a group, finding a coach, finding a counselor, someone there where you can let a little bit of that authentic you out, but in a safe kind of contained place, right? So if you're not there where you want to jump out and tell everyone or have those deep conversations with family members or friends or coworkers, finding some safe places is the perfect place to start, right? Reading books, there's podcasts, there's so much free information online that anyone can kind of get started and start taking those steps in the right direction and find people that you can relate to. Like, oh, this person, that journey mirrors mine. I'm going to ask some questions and get help. And, you know, making sure the group isn't judgmental or there's just not that toxicity. So I know I said that many times, but it's huge. That's just yeah. for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. If it's a toxic person on social media or something that doesn't make you feel good, you'll know. There'll be that resistance and you can get rid of it or block it or leave the group and make sure you're getting what you need to from it. Cultivate your own experience. That's actually been one of the most powerful things that I've done in my healing journey is talking to a counselor and not just, just like you're saying, not just any counselor, but one that works for you, right? And having that safe space allowed me to say the truth, to speak some things that I maybe never felt comfortable speaking before, and then walk away from the meeting. And nobody else knew but that counselor. And then you could come back and continue a conversation and you could make decisions for yourself about who you want to be and what you want to be true for your life based on those conversations. And then when you're ready, then you can go and put that that healthier version of yourself out into action in your relationships with people, in your family, in your community, at work. You can put that into practice out there. But all of the nitty gritty details can be just between you and another trusted person. And that keeps things simple and clean and healing and healthy. So I really like that you're sharing that. And then you're encouraging people to seek out communities that are validating and affirming and life-giving and can help make the scary less scary. Yeah, yes. So what would you say to those of us who are listening and wondering how to be an effective ally? You know, so how can we support others when, and we touched on this a little bit, when maybe we're grieving the loss of a person we thought we knew, or as we're witnessing someone who's making significant changes in their life? 
Yeah. So there's this example about crabs in a bucket, right? So if you put one crab in a bucket, it can climb out of that bucket just fine. If you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one tries to climb out, the others will grab its leg and pull it back down. It's horrible. But that's kind of what friends and family do also out of fear, right? So we have our our brain having these reactions of stay safe, stay small, stay like stay with what you know. And then all of our family members sometimes have that same reaction and they just want, they don't know what's out there either. And as, you know, as a maybe parent or family, we want to keep our family safe. And if we don't know, because we don't know, right, maybe we need to do our own work, then we think we're doing something good, right? We think we're saving them from hardship and mean people. And it's usually by being mean ourselves. (laughs) which is horrible, which is horrible. So I'm like that mom that reached out to me for coaching because she knew, you know what? My daughter is making the right choice for her. She's going to be happy and healthy. I need to work on my own junk. How can I do this? And that's when she reached out and then we worked together for just a little bit to work on these thoughts and feelings and beliefs. And, you know, as an ally, if you're going through your own stuff, realize that that triggered something in you, but it's not them, right? They are their own person. And if you're triggered by something, it's we can't bubble wrap the whole world so that you won't be triggered. It's a time to look inward and go, why did that trigger me? Like, what's going on? Where do I need to look within and do some work? How can I be a better ally, a better parent, whatever your role is? And then as for how to be a better ally in general, like if maybe you you don't have someone close to you, right? You're not going to be outing anybody, but by showing up on social media, right? Or talking about things or showing up at events, uh, pride events are coming up. So excited. <laughs> but Like I said, when I put my podcast out there, it was scary for me, but it helped people that I didn't know it would help. So even if you putting a post out there saying, you know, if anyone needs to talk, I'm an ally or I support this, anything like that, because I know there's some fear because we don't want to start something. And sometimes, right, that might be a people pleaser check for yourself, right? Uh, Like, am I worried about what other people are going to think? It shouldn't matter. And I usually phrase it like this. Is it more important to stay comfortable or to save a life or to save a family? And sometimes if they see you doing that, then they won't feel so alone because they know, oh, okay, this is a safe person. I can come and talk to this person. Just reaching out and letting people know will mean more then you realize it will ever mean. And whether you hear from someone or not, that it meant a lot from you, right? There's this unspoken support that will possibly save a life, right? Or make someone feel a little more loved and and stronger and validated in who they are. I love that. Welcoming people as they are, helping them feel seen and heard and valued, letting them know that they matter, that they have a place here too. 
That's so incredibly important. And you're right. When we hear it from the people closest to us in our community and in our families and our friends, it has a special meaning and it makes your sense of connection tangible. So what are some resources that have been helpful for you in your journey and coming out? Um, And what would you recommend? What resources would you recommend to an ally or a family member? So the resources that have meant a lot for me, just because the wide variety of people you find are that online community, because they don't have a vested interest in your life, right? They aren't going to be triggered by you necessarily. Books. Everything Brene Brown, right? Uh, On shame and vulnerability. I think that's perfect, not just for the LGBTQ community, but everyone. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Have you read that one? It's it's so good. So good. And then follow up to that. There's an interview on Brene Brown's podcast where she interviews Glennon Doyle about her whole journey. The Four Agreements is a book that I have all of my clients read. It gets into not taking things personally, um, not making assumptions, being impeccable with our words, all things that I feel like people pleasers struggle with. And it's not something, those four agreements aren't anything that just goes away on their own, right? My family members, I won't say specifically which ones, that are you know in their 60s and 70s still struggle with those four agreements. So it's something that, you can tackle at any time. I read this book with my 14-year-old my because I want her to, to know these truths and to work on this and not have this baggage at this young age. And I've also worked with like 50, 60-year-olds on the same thing. So it's something that, you know, it's never too late. It's never too early. Just knowing and working on these things are very important. For those of us who would love to stay connected and engaged with you, How can we stay in touch and what's the best way to contact you? The best and easiest way would just be my website, which is anniemhenderson.com. And from there, you can find my email, a button to set up a free consultation call, the Facebook group I mentioned, the podcast, everything's there. Even my, I think at the bottom, right, the social media, there's, if you want to come find me on TikTok. That's a fun, fun place to play and um, just get support in a different, fun, lighthearted way. I love your energy and everything that you're doing to support people and to help them step into their authentic selves. So we appreciate all the awareness that you've brought to us today. Is there a final thought that you'd like to share with us before we part ways? Ooh, final thought. Oh my goodness. Just have intention. Be intentional with not only how you start your day, but who you surround yourself with, what you listen to. That's a a huge step. I have a client that was looking back, she designed shirts and just looking back a few months or to a year ago, the shirt she made, like she called snarky, like, oh, they used to be kind of snarky and negative. She's like, I don't want, like, I'm a different person now. I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I want this positive message and this, you know, this idea of hope and change. And I think that's huge, right? When, when old you starts to be uncomfortable and not sound so appealing, you know, you've made some progress. So being intentional with what you consume is so important. 
Thank you for an incredibly important conversation today, Annie, for sharing very powerful insight on how to embrace our whole selves. We appreciate you and we look forward to staying connected. If you have a wellness topic that is important to you, let us know by visiting emergethriving.com forward slash podcast.